Good morning, Menlo Church. So glad to be with you. So thankful you are here today. Whether you're joining us from one of our Bay Area campuses in San Mateo, Mountain View, Menlo Park, and Saratoga, or you're with us online, thank you. Thank you for being a part of this continued important conversation that we're having over the course of this series. Over the course of this series that we've done called Seasons, where we're talking about this idea that even in our faith, we have permission to feel. As a matter of fact, each subsequent spiritual season, it requires that you fully experience the previous one to walk in health, even where it's difficult, in the highs and the lows of our life with God. If you've missed either one of the first two weeks, I'd encourage you to go check it out at menlo.church. I also wanted to highlight the fact that the fall season we're going to talk about this week in our connection with God, and next week we're going to talk about winter, they are going to be more challenging. They're going to carry subject material that maybe you've been doing your best to avoid thinking about. You've been doing your best to avoid dealing with in your own life. And uh, I'm also going to reference some of my own personal abuse uh, as a child. And so I just want to make sure you know all that's coming. I also want to make sure that if you discover that you have a need over the course of this week or next for a deeper conversation or you need help, um, man, I hope you hear me. Do not leave today without getting it. Our campuses are all prepared with prayer teams that would love to pray with you and help talk about maybe what might be your best next step. Um, we also have an email address you can email at care at menlo.church for counseling resources and um, other opportunities to connect with what a next step might be. Uh, you can also text the word start to the number 741741 or call the number one 800 273 Talk. Both of those are sort of national groups that support mental health in our moment. And in case you're tempted to think, well, this is just one of those messages, I guess, that won't relate to me. I don't have to worry about this. I don't know anybody that deals with depression or anxiety. I don't know anybody that feels this way in their own life or their connection with God. Well, uh, thank you for laughing. I appreciate that. Um, the NIH recently released some findings post-COVID around mental health in our nation, and in just the last few years, we have gone from 20% of people reporting depression, anxiety, um, and substance abuse related to mental health uh, to nearly half of Americans. So even if this isn't true for you today, it is true for someone you know. And this is an opportunity for us, all of us, uh, I think, to be far more prepared to care for people around us. So even if this isn't you, please, please, maybe right now, let's pray for someone who it might be for and who knows what God might have in store for you. Would you pray with me? God, thank you. Thank you so much that we know that in you there are no emotions uh, that we can't bring to you. There is no pain that you don't want to hear. God, there is no abuse that we can't surface with you and find hope and healing. And God, we want to be a church that when those types of things come up, when there is a need for help, when there is a need for hope, that God, the reservoir of your hope and your help is unending and that we could be the kind of place and people that show that path so incredibly clearly. I pray that over the next few moments, we would see that path that starts with you. It's in Jesus' name, amen. Now, I know that all of you have wanted me to share this number for a while, so I'm going to share it with you. Um, I have been at Menlo Church for 147 days. Yeah, there you go. I have a few more gray hairs, but we're still doing it, okay? 
Uh, I tell you that because uh, we are really starting to branch out further as a family to learn about our new home in the Bay Area and all these new fun places to explore with our kids and as a family. And there is a, a route back to our house that we are becoming more and more familiar with, right? It's easy to use navigation to get around, but there's something encouraging as you become more familiar with the area that as you get closer to your house, eventually you don't need navigation anymore. You kind of know the route. And over time, you notice that that circle gets bigger and bigger and bigger where you know where you're going. For many of us, right, um, I think the challenge is that we get further out in our own life. For many of us, we have a path back to safety in our own minds like that. We have a path back to safety even in our pursuit of God like that. The season of fall, it, it usually means the season of change. The days are getting shorter and cooler in nature. We know the press of expectations and things are different. Even though we didn't always see it coming, sometimes it comes suddenly. Even maybe especially in this season, we run to what's familiar. Neuroscientists describe this as neural pathways. Over time, our thought processes create mental maps that become easier and easier to follow, even if they're not good ones, especially when we are under stress or we are feeling this fall season of our faith as something like change or loss. Now, if I took a shortcut through our neighbor's yard to get home, if that was just a path that we determined as we became more and more familiar with the Bay Area, it might save me a few seconds in my car on my way home, but it would quickly become a problem, right? I could try and argue that it wasn't me, but the tire tracks would probably give it away. And over time, watching that would cause more and more and more damage. Yes, it got me home, but it was the wrong way to get there. Some of us have been taking shortcuts See, there's this principle that I believe is true about God's will for your and my life, and that is when God says do, he means he designed you that way. And when God says don't, he means don't hurt yourself. But the problem is, right, instead of the ways that God tells us to respond to change or to stick with them and the kind of uplifting people that we talked about last week, we, we self-medicate, we numb out. We create mental shortcuts that are really damaging for us because what we're choosing is short-term pleasure over immediate pain at the expense of long-term progress. That's what we often do in the place of change in our life. We're gonna dive back into the Psalms in a unique Psalm, this book of poetry from the Hebrew scriptures that actually feels more like a conversation between two or three people. And in it, we will see excuse me, that where you run in change is where you trust in life. That where you run in change is where you trust in life. And that is the lesson for fall for all of us. Now, uh, there are three questions that help us answer where we're running from the psalmist. And the first one is, where is your shelter? Where is your shelter? This psalm, it uses a structure that feels, as I mentioned, like multiple people talking back and forth. And in this conversation, we're exposed to the idea of abiding in Jesus, staying connected to Jesus, making it an every breath relationship, that it's essential if we really want to experience the shelter, not for God, not with God, but the shelter of God. The first voice in our passage begins this way. 
It says, he who dwells in the shelter of the Most High will abide in the shadow of the Almighty. I will say to the Lord, my refuge and my fortress, my God in whom I trust. Now, we don't, uh, we don't know who wrote this psalm, and we actually don't know the exact circumstances of the psalm either, but uh, it's true to our life, right? It's true to the life of the Jewish people that regardless of the season that they were in, this, there's over and over again, it, it wasn't about a physical temple for them. It, it was about faithfulness and relationship to God in everything, all the time, whether they felt themselves completely disconnected to God or they felt themselves completely in step with the plan of God. The word that we translate here as shelter, it carries the idea of shadow or hiding place in the original language. It has this idea that it's going to take some commitment. It's going to take some stick for us to discover, but it offers protection once we find it. You get this sense that this word shadow, it is, it's as though God is standing over us. He is himself protecting us as we are in him as our shelter. The author isn't saying that there isn't a threat, but instead that there is one and that God will protect us even in the midst of the threats. Psalm 23, a very famous passage of the same book, same collection, right? It talks about this idea that even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. God is our shelter isn't to avoid change. Instead, he helps us navigate it well and with faithfulness. The rhetorical responder, the same author, but communicating as a second voice says this, for he will deliver you from the snare of the fowler and from the deadly pestilence. He will cover you with his pinions and under his wings you will find refuge. His faithfulness is a shield and a buckler. See here, we are promised that if, we stay connected to God. And if we take refuge in his shelter, then we will have protection from dangers that hunt us, diseases that infect us. After the last few years, those probably hit and feel a little different, right? But the shelter of Jesus is more necessary than ever that you have a present help in time of weakness and difficulty, that even when change is coming, you can depend on something bigger than even what you can see. All of our shelter, all of our shelter looks different in times of pain and change. But one area that is painful and honestly a core memory for me as a child is when my refuge, the place of safety for me as a child was the bottom of my closet. I grew up in a home where you needed a hiding place, a literal place where no one could find you. See, I learned at a very young age that being seen by my abusive father was not safe. It was dangerous. Being seen doing anything other than performing perfectly was dangerous and it would result in pain. My early, earthly father never called me by my name as a child. My name to him was boy. I can remember praying in that closet that my dad would find someone else to get mad at first before he found me. And I know that that's an extreme example and maybe for you, honestly, that gives you permission to tap into some stuff that you haven't thought about in a long time. 
But I always want to make sure I say this. Just because there's some pain of my past that sounds like that, it does not invalidate the pain of your life. Sometimes in your life, you may be tempted to go, well, my, my area, my change, the, the fall season for me, it doesn't hurt that bad, but it still hurts. You still need refuge. You still need hope. You still need a place of safety. Finding refuge in God and in trusted people that God puts in your life is so incredibly important. And oftentimes, I believe that there are sort of four tests if these people and if these places of refuge align with God's heart for you. First is, do you feel seen? Do you feel seen? Do you feel like somebody's really listening? Somebody's giving the time and attention to you? Second, is this person safe? Do you feel protected? Do you feel like they are being thoughtful in the way that they're caring for you and appropriate? Third, does it feel secure, appropriately confidential? You know that the information you're sharing is only going to be appropriately shared with others who can help in the situation. And then finally, do you feel appropriately soothed? Someone that is empathetically present with you. Someone that's not trying to just over-spiritualize it. Somebody that's not trying to move on the second they hear it. Somebody who's willing to sit in the wait and do the work with you. If you don't have people in your life like that, I would encourage you, step deeper into community. I would encourage you, even maybe ask your pastor, what does it look like for me to find this in this season? Because the best time to develop this is before you're in the crisis where you need it. If the people that you're turning to struggle to meet these, then you may be taking refuge in people or things that don't align with God. We still need people that challenge us, but within the context of relational trust, and that's what this list is all about. See, God longs to be our place of shelter, our hidden covering that can point us to who he is. But that's not always the place that we turn, is it? To avoid running to God and his people as our shelter, we often run to self-sabotaging behaviors to avoid change in the first place. It reaffirms these lies we've convinced ourselves of. I'll never be different. I'll never get past it. I'll never, I'll never. For some of you, that's why your relationships, including your marriage, haven't grown. Or why you feel stuck at work. Because you expect everything and everyone around you to change but God is asking you to change too. I also want to encourage you that this may require support for you. If you've been avoiding the season of change in your spiritual life for a very long time, it may seem impossible to run to a pastor, to a counselor, to a friend. Peter Scazzaro, author of Emotionally Healthy Spirituality, he calls this out beautifully. He says, changing the way we have lived for 20 or 40, or 60 years is nothing short of a revolution. I know that for some at Menlo, this is, this is a big challenge because for you on the surface, everything looks okay. And you have been walking with Jesus for many decades. You have uh, really kind of staked your life on the fact that you're just continuing to faithfully follow Jesus. And that's beautiful, but it doesn't mean you don't experience the seasons of fall and winter in your spiritual life. And the more you bury those feelings of depression and anxiety, the more you bury those disappointments in that area of bitterness, the heavier and weightier it becomes. And God has so much grace available, so much more hope available to you if you will only 
turn to it. It's also a misnomer to think that we have the choice to not change. See, it's, it's just that when we don't run to God, when we don't choose his path, we change into something or someone other than who he has built us to be. We develop those neural pathways that, that might feel immediately helpful to avoid pain, but they don't ultimately help. Because where you run in change is where you trust in life. That's where you really trust. And I don't know we don't like that because all of us have an answer to that question that doesn't feel comfortable, but that's true. The next section from our psalmist begs this question, what is your protection? What is your protection? Self-protection is usually hard to spot because our society, it actually rewards us for it. Self-protection, it looks like independence. And even now on Memorial Day, right, we live in this nation that we are so thankful for, but it was built on the principle of independence. But we also follow a God who calls you and me to greater and greater dependence on him and interdependence with one another. Self-protection, it might be your job performance. That's the way you keep people at bay and say you're okay. It might be the grades that you get, that even if everything else under the hood doesn't feel right, you're still getting the A's. It might be your perfectly maintained social media profile or your seemingly impenetrable financial plan. Really, I think it comes down to four key areas of self-protection that if God were to push on these things, and seasons of change usually do, we'll be in trouble. The first one is comfort. Comfort looks different for all of us, but what is your area of comfort that you go, God, I'm not willing for that to change in order for us to stay connected, in order for me to abide, in order for me to grow. That's a problem. Routine, you know, if you're a routine person, you go, this is the way my day looks, this is the way my week looks, this is how my job works, this is how this looks, this is how my kids relate to me, this is how friends relate to me. I'm telling you, be careful. Entitlement, I mean, I don't think any of us have to deal with that, but some other people I've heard about, I'm entitled to this. We talked about this a little bit last week. The non-negotiables of what we expect, be careful. And then performance, that you're used to performing at a certain level and the moment in our spiritual life, we all of a sudden feel like that performance is threatened. We think, uh-oh, what do I do from here? Those all point to paths of self-protection. Growing up, we moved around a lot. And uh, there were seasons of change in my pursuit of God that got wrapped up in those life changes too. I remember one move we were moving, I was moving back to a, a town in Ohio um, and it was my sophomore year of high school and school was very difficult for me. You probably have heard me say this. Uh, I have severe dyslexia, a learning disability, a reading disability. Um, it was really difficult. And here's what I did. I hid how hard school was for me by showing how hard I worked at it instead. Can you relate? You don't let anybody in. You find a way to project self-protection. But we can be honest about what's happening because of who we have on our side. We don't have to hide that. The psalmist puts it this way. You will not fear the terror of the night, nor the arrow that flies by day, nor the pestilence that stalks in darkness, nor the destruction that wastes at noonday. A thousand may fall at your side, 10,000 at your right hand, but it will not come near you. You will only look with your eyes and see the recompense of the wicked. See, when God and his people really are our places of refuge and protection, where we run when the winds of change come, 
not only do we not have to fear, the psalmist says that we won't fear the terror, but here's what we've already highlighted and seen in the psalm. It's, it's the terror that does come. It's inevitable. It's the arrows that will fly. They, they will fly. The disease and destruction that will be all around us, that we live in a world that offers very false hope, but the promise of God is that there is very real hope now and for eternity when we turn to it. See, remember, some of us, we haven't been willing to grow in each season, so this one can feel suffocating, but it doesn't have to. We can learn to grow in each and every season of our pursuit of God. And if we have created in these self-protection ways, God, I can only grow with you and my life is like this, then that's what your spiritual life will look like. That's what some of our lives do look like. The next time it comes up, if you let God grow you through it, it will still feel heavy, it will still feel hard, but there will be a heavy hope that God has built in you along the way that you didn't have before. That's the work of growth or this term sanctification that God wants to do progressively in you. I love the word that we translate recompense in this passage. Isn't that a great word? I think we should use that word more regularly. <laughs> At the core of recompense is a promise that we have protection in our heart from unrighted wrongs, that we know and that we believe that God will make things right, ultimately in heaven, but we can trust that even in this life, he will continue to work for your good and for his glory. You can trust that. This is not a throwaway. If you have experienced pain, if you have experienced abuse, Please say something so that someone can help. And perhaps God can use your courage to bring recompense, can bring justice into something that has felt impossible. Especially if you've experienced abuse and you believe that somehow you're the only one that's faced it. Not only are you not the only one who's faced it, you may not be the only person who's faced it from the perpetrator that is doing that to you. Just a couple verses after this one. We get this incredible set of promises in a season of fall and change. It says, for he will command his angels concerning you to guard you in all your ways. On their hands, they will bear you up lest you strike your foot against a stone. You will tread on the lion and the otter, the, li the young lion and the serpent you will trample underfoot. A friend reminded me of something that I often take for granted this week, he, he shared how our kids, when they're little, we have one that's still in this stage, they just reach their hand out for you to take it, and they trust your protection. They trust the direction that you're gonna take them. They just grab it, right? They know that we'll keep them safe in a parking lot or in a big crowd. See, God has a way of doing that for us, too. God has a way of navigating those difficult situations for us in our life, and it's more than just handing us passages like this, as helpful as they might be. The psalmist says that angels have been dispatched. They have been commanded to protect you. They hold you up. They make sure you overcome when you are overwhelmed. But before we move on, I want to address why this is hard for us to believe. Whether you're a Christian or not, Christian art has made angels into beings that seem more like they need help than they can offer it. You know what I mean? Like chubby babies on clouds playing harps. 
We have even worse theology because we think that's like one day what we're going to be in eternity. It's not. We'll cover that in a different sermon. But the scriptures, they actually tell us that while there are a variety of angelic beings, they are most often referred to as warriors of light. Someone turned artificial intelligence to the task of showing how Ezekiel described angels. They look a little bit more like this. And when you think about God dispatching those angels to help you in the midst of change, loss, and pain in your life, all of a sudden you're like, okay, I'll take it. Are you feeling any better about the backup that God has already prepared for you? Think about how silly it is when you and I turn to dysfunctional, numbing things that really hurt us when that's what's available. We can trust him with our change. Finally, we're faced with one more question from this psalm, the most important question. Who is your salvation? You've heard me say this before, and it's not original to me, but I firmly believe that identity is the new idolatry. When we ask for things that shape how we are to be the only or most important answer to who we are, we are essentially saying we are our own salvation. We define it. If you're a Jesus follower or you're thinking about becoming one, that's why you're here, then our fundamental identity is really built to be that we're created in the image of God with infinite dignity, value, and worth. And calling yourself a Christian means not only do you believe that, but you believe that that's only possible because of the rescuing work of God by sending his son Jesus to live a perfect life on your behalf, coming back from the dead after dying for you so that our relationship with him could be restored now and forever. That's why we surrender our lives to him. That's our actual salvation. See, the picture of the good news or what the Bible calls the gospel, it wasn't fully known when this psalm was written, but we get glimpses of it throughout the text. And our final few verses are actually the psalmist speaking kind of as the voice of God in the situation of change and challenge. He says it this way, because he holds fast to me in love, I will deliver him. I will protect him because he knows my name. When he calls to me, I will answer him. I will be with him in trouble. I will rescue him and honor him. With long life, I will satisfy him and show him my salvation. What if the pain that you're experiencing has a point? What if the dependence of God you can find in the season of fall and change spiritually can only be found in the midst of pain and change? What if, what if pain is the process God wants to use to change you? I always wanna offer a disclaimer, especially as someone who's faced abuse myself, this doesn't mean that you should stay in an abusive situation or an abusive relationship. You should get help immediately. Reach out for help today in whatever way is safe for you to do it. If you're feeling overwhelmed in a season of change, if you're facing depression and anxiety and it feels overwhelming to you, get help today. It doesn't mean that God can't use your pain. It just means we shouldn't use that fact as an excuse to not get help. And I think that even when we are in a relatively healthy spot, personally and relationally, our life still has change as a part of it. Your life isn't perfect, my life isn't perfect, and your circumstances will never be perfect, that's okay. That's why we depend on God. 
Piscizero, that author we referenced earlier, he puts it this way. He says, the Bible does not spin the flaws and weaknesses of its heroes. Moses was a murderer. Hosea's wife was a prostitute. Peter rebuked God. Noah got drunk. Jonah was a racist. Jacob was a liar. John Mark deserted Paul. Elijah burned out. Jeremiah was depressed and suicidal. Thomas doubted. Moses had a temper. Timothy had ulcers. And all these people send the same message that every human being on earth, regardless of their gifts and strengths, is weak vulnerable and dependent on God and others, even in 2023 in the Silicon Valley, I promise. That is the assumed reality. So whose name are you calling to, Menlo? What are you running to? In the midst of change, we will be tempted, like all of those we just talked about, to run to something or someone else. But God and his people are our true strength of hope and our true direction, the North Star in our seasons of change and life towards our real salvation. See, over the course of the last few years, we have watched our nation turn to what really matters in its heart. In moments of crisis, what it really trusts and places its hope in, and the scary answer to that was politics. As scary as that seems, it's the tribal war that feels most constant in midst of change. I probably felt this the most when COVID restrictions started to lift, only to be reimposed. You remember that? Now, I'm not making a political statement, but the tension that mentioning that just brought to this room, it shows us the problem, doesn't it? We run to what's familiar, to what or who we believe we can really trust. When change is present and control is lacking, that's our go-to. And look, if, if we take a step back, we can recognize fall, it has its own thing, right? Fall has its own wardrobe. I'll be learning what that wardrobe is here in just a few months. <laughs> it has its own traditions and beverages. Shout out to pumpkin spice latte. But for many of us, we don't make those same kinds of adjustments when seasons of spiritual change are around us. We don't even recognize it. We just think, well, whew, God, it's just harder to connect. God, the way that I've always been able to find you, the way that I've always been able to stay in community has gotten hard, so I guess I just won't do it. See, we run from community, not to it. We try to power up rather than powering down, but it doesn't have to be that way. For some of you, this is the season that has manifested itself in anxiety and depression, and historically, the church in America has not spoken openly about what to do about that. See, the work of pursuing one of those resources that we talked about earlier, I would encourage you to do that. Finding a counselor, pursuing spiritual direction. These are steps. They don't make you weak. They show that you're strong where it counts because you were made to be dependent. You are by design vulnerable. And that kind of integration between what is happening in your thoughts and emotions and soul, it is critical for you and me to grow in our pursuit of God through all the seasons of life, through all the seasons of our spiritual growth. This work, it's slow. It feels scary. This is the first time I've talked about any of this after both of my parents have been gone. And normally 
I would have a, a conversation with my mom after a talk or a weekend like this. We would talk about her experience and we would talk about our experience as kids and we would, we would cry and we would pray and it was heavy and hard, but it was a season we got that we had never had before. This, this experience for me started after my dad died several years ago through a counseling intensive, through therapy that challenged me to go back to memories that I'd pushed pretty far away that were still showing up. They were still leaking out in my relationships. And I've been in continued care on some level ever since. I have three siblings, I'm the youngest of four. And uh, we all faced abuse in our home and their lives look a lot different than mine. They aren't interested in care, at least not yet. And there is a big difference. It's not that I'm smarter, it's not that I'm better, I'm not either one. It's that I have recognized my need over and over again for the person and work of Jesus the care of mental health professionals and meaningful community in my life. And they won't. Don't let someone else's inaction or critique of your action hold you back from what God is calling you to do. We have a problem in the way that we have handled this in the West. The pastor who took over for Pete Scazzaro, his name's Rich Velotis in New York, he puts it this way. He says, but notoriously, we won't take time to go deep down within because we have been often discipled into superficiality and in the name of Jesus, no less. If all of this just feels different to you, strange to you, please, please, please hear me. It doesn't mean that God doesn't wanna meet you there. And so even now, as we continue to pray through these Psalms and learn together about how we might pray these powerful truths into our life, let's believe that God can take us deeper than we've ever been before. Would you pray with me? God, even now, as we lift this to you, we pray that you would be with us. I pray for those who have spent a lot of time and a lot of energy pushing these things down in their life emotionally, spiritually. God, by your grace, would you bring conviction and freedom to just let these things out to you and to others, even now as we pray. In Jesus' name, amen.